Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for all the ways that you speak into our lives and into our hearts. And we give you thanks for all the people who speak to us. Lord, whether you speak today through song, through words that are sung or through jazz solos, whether you speak through scripture or poetry or visual art or even the humble words of my mouth, may we hear you. Amen. You know, maybe I should have included engineering in that list of ways God speaks to us because that's really more what we're talking about today, the practical side of things. And you know, I am not a handy person. I am not a handy person in any way. Maybe with computers a little bit. I can do a few things there. But like when it comes to making something work around the house, I have the common sense of, um, I don't know, what's something that doesn't have any common sense? That's me. <laughs> and I remember a time, this is back when I worked at the TV station, uh, um, so a long time ago, we wanted to hang a calendar. And I had this idea. Well, we have this cubicle wall. Now, do you know the cubicle walls I'm talking about? They're what, an inch or two thick like that and they're kind of padded so you can stick thumbtacks in them. You know the kind I mean? Uh, But the thumbtack was not enough to hold this calendar. It wasn't strong enough. And uh, everybody around there wore suits, so we had a lot of these around from the dry cleaners, right? These wire hangers. And I thought a handy person would be able to take this hanger and rig it so that we could hang that calendar on the cubicle wall. Okay, so I thought to myself, I'm smart, I could do this. And I start thinking, okay, no. Um, Okay, what if I bend this sideways? No, then there's no, oh, hey, maybe this part could be to hang the calendar. And I'm like trying to figure this out. And meanwhile, my coworker is just sitting here like this the whole time. And he's watching me struggle with this coat hanger. And clearly the coat hanger is winning. (laughs) And you know what he does? Once I've finally thrown up my hands and I'm starting to get annoyed, he goes like this. One, two, three. And the calendar hangs on the cubicle wall. I am telling you, I am not a handy person by any stretch of the imagination, but I am grateful for those around who are. Now, I suppose I'm going to date myself, though only barely, because I was only a kid when this show was on. But have any of you watched MacGyver or at least know about the show MacGyver? I know some people have. It's a, a, a Part of what makes it fun is that MacGyver, the main character, whose hairstyle I am in no way going to comment on, uh, bring, uh, always figures out his way out of sticky situations like with practically nothing. Like maybe he has a stick of gum and a toothpick and manages to figure out how to defuse a bomb with it. You know, it's that kind of thing. And it was such a popular show when it was on that it's even become a verb itself. You know, to MacGyver something means to take whatever you have and make it work. Now, the one place I think I can do this some is with computers. So when this, when the COVID first started and we had the lockdown, you know, we couldn't go to stores and uh, online shipping was taking forever. And somehow, we had to take our live stream game here at the church and up it. And I think I MacGyvered a few things there to make, a, to make this work, as did others around here too. Uh, but uh, luckily, I think we've shorted up a little bit, so maybe it isn't as MacGyvered as it was. 
And you know, I've, I've been blessed to know some small business owners. There was a bookshop owner I once had a many good conversations with, and she told me about what it was like when she first opened the bookshop, you know, when she was working uh, 12 for 15-hour days just to keep things going, trying to figure out how to make her small business work. You know, I really, uh, really, really respect uh, small business entrepreneurs especially, and probably bigger business entrepreneurs too, because of how resourceful and practical pragmatic they are. They know that there's something that needs done and it's not going to get done unless, unless they do it many times, especially in the small business setting. And they do it. They manage to get it done, even if it means learning along the way. Now, I'm setting you up here because today's business story is, a, or today's business story, today's Bible story is about a businessman in the Bible, a, a character whose gift was to be resourceful and pragmatic, or at least as best we can tell. We only know this one little thing about him, but it was certainly a story about that, and it certainly inspires me in how it fits into the bigger thing that God was doing. You know, one of the things I like doing is finding stories of the little people in the Bible. You know, the minor characters that don't get as much attention as uh, Jesus or the disciples. You know, ink and paper were so expensive in, uh, in Bible times that the writers had to choose very carefully what was going to be included. So if something was repeated, you know it was repeated for a reason. If they're gonna spend more ink on it, uh, you know that they repeated it for a reason. And at the same time, even a brief little mention is never an accident because every word means something. Uh, and they also got good at using very few words to say a great deal about the people they chose to mention. So I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. One of these Christmases, I want to do a sermon or maybe even a series on the people who helped raise Jesus in the synagogue. There's a mention, I want to say it's Luke's gospel, it might be Matthew, wherever it is. There's a mention of a few, just a couple of random people who were in Jesus' home synagogue when Jesus was a boy uh, who were inspirations to him. And I, I love that every time because it makes me think about Sunday school teachers I had when I was a kid, people like you that I've known since. Uh, and I I think it says something that the writers of the Gospels used paper and ink to name these people specifically because of the role they played in Jesus' life. Another good example is in Acts. Now, this one I'll definitely do a sermon on sooner or later. It says, Lydia, comma, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, we hear that today and we think, so what? But purple cloth was very rare. Purple dye was very expensive in those days. And so if Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth, it meant that she was a high power business woman. So already we have a figure for modern feminism that's very strong, a significant figure. Uh, it also means that she was very resourceful and pragmatic herself, that she spent her time traveling because that's the only way you could get enough wealthy people to sustain a business of purple cloth, right? She spent her time traveling to wealthy person and to kings and to the, uh, the most elite in society. Uh, and you could just imagine what her life was like and you can also imagine what it was like when she stuck her neck out for Jesus and for, for the apostles. It's all the more impressive because she was risking her whole business and livelihood to do it. And all of that is captured in those words, Lydia, comma, a dealer in purple cloth. You know, these little people in the Bible, they always seem to remind me of people that I know. You know, we can all identify with Peter's bumbling around, the disciple. Mary is, of course, an inspiration. But these minor characters, 
they seem like the people that we sit with on Sunday morning. Not that none of you are like Peter and Mary, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, they seem like the people we know and they're an inspiration. And part of what we do here at Trinity is, uh, I'm so fond of saying, we talk about being fully alive in Christ. And that's what I mean. It's these spiritually mature people who may or may not be great figures in the common sense of the word, but in whom we just sense something, that kind of life that only comes from Christ. And as today's scripture says it, these people who eagerly anticipate the coming of God's kingdom. So today's person is Joseph of Arimathea. Now, if you've ever gotten into the King Arthur legends, you may have heard of him because he figures in way more into that than he does in the Bible, as a matter of fact. Uh, however, all the stories in the King Arthur legend, well, historians can't prove a single one, or at least none of them are, that are about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, these are all stories that happened after the Bible, and they are undoubtedly untrue. So the way it goes in the Ar 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 Arturian legends is that Joseph of Arimathea was given the Holy Grail, and that he took that holy grail, you know, that, that's the uh, cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper, a uh, communion the first time, and he took it to England, and that's part of what was giving kings, the royalty, their right to rule. Now, see, that's more politics than faith. That isn't really about Joseph of Arimathea, and it's undoubtedly untrue. For what it's worth, if we were able to legally show clips, movie clips on live streams, I would right now show you Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they mention uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And if you wanna Google it later, uh, uh, search for Monty Python, Joseph of Arimathea, and you'll find uh, the clip of the castle of Ah. I highly recommend it. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's dig into what we do know from those mentions in the Bible, which historians believe are probably accurate. Uh, there, are other, uh, there are other things that attest to it too and, and whatnot, and so we think that it actually did happen this way. The story of Joseph of Arimathea is actually spread out over all four Gospels. One of the few uh, stories that is spread out over all four Gospels and not just three or two or even one. Uh, so, um, but they each share a slight slightly different details. Luke gives us some of uh, Joseph's background. Let's hear it again. Now there was a man named Joseph who was a member of the council. So already he's a pretty big deal with some clout and some political clout too, right? He was a good and righteous man. He hadn't agreed with the plan and actions of the council. Now for a little context, we are uh, right around, we are right at Jesus' crucifixion here. That's what they're referring to. When they made the decision to arrest him and to crucify him, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was one who did not agree. He was from the Jewish city of Arimathea and eagerly anticipated God's kingdom. That's that phrase that I think means fully alive. He was spiritually mature, he got it. He eagerly anticipated God's kingdom. This man went to Pilate, the governor, and asked for Jesus' body. So in other words, he stuck his neck out a little bit too. Uh, and he went to the governor and asked if he would, could be allowed to take away Jesus' body. And Pilate evidently said yes. Now Luke's version goes on and tells what happens, but I think it's, uh, he kind of goes off into some other things. So let's move over to John's gospel now and pick up the story there with chapter 19, verse 39. So Nicodemus, the one who had first come to Jesus at night, his story is told somewhere else, was there too. He brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, nearly 75 pounds in all. Now 75 pounds. 
At the grocery store on Friday, I bought some uh, wood pellets for my smoker, and it was a 20-pound bag. Now, that wasn't too bad. I was able to carry it. If you had asked me to carry two of those at once, I probably could have done it, but I'll bet I would have taken them one at a time. 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe for Jesus' body. That's just shy of four 20-pound bags. That's a lot of myrrh and aloe. Uh, so Nicodemus and Joseph were treating Jesus right, right? This is a generous gift they gave to preserve his body. This would have been the ancient equivalent of embalming, right? So he brought a, a mixture of myrrh and aloe, nearly 75 pounds in all. Following Jewish burial customs, they took Jesus' body and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths. There was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified, and in the garden was a new tomb which no one ha in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was Jewish preparation day, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus in it. Now Matthew's gospel tells us that this was Joseph's own tomb, and in fact, he had been carving it for himself. The way that Jesus says it uh, with the word carve, uh, it, it's clear that even though Joseph of Arimathea was a, uh, a, a well-to-do person himself, that he was making his own tomb. He was carving out the stone and preparing it for himself and for his family. And he gave it to Jesus and laid the body in it. Now, Joseph didn't know what was going to happen next, meaning the resurrection. You know, it says that he eagerly anticipated the coming of God's kingdom, but he didn't know what that meant any more than the 12 disciples. You know, those disciples who had just gathered around the cross in their own tears, their own uh, dejected uh, uh, manner, knowing that they had put all of this hope in Jesus, and then he not only died, but he died in a way that was shameful on the cross. We talked about that, uh, just, was that just last week's sermon? About the shame of the cross. And they were, they were dumbfounded. They didn't know what was going on. And quite frankly, many of their hopes were dashed. Now, just because Joseph eagerly anticipated God's kingdom doesn't mean he knew what was going to happen next. But he was practical enough to see that Jesus was going to need a tomb. After everything that happened, the miracles and all of the changed hearts, he must have thought to himself, well, he can't just leave his body to the birds and the animals because oftentimes that's what happened after a crucifixion. Jesus deserves better than that. And somebody better do something fast because the Sabbath day is coming and the birds and the animals is what it's going to be. And so he uses his influence to talk to Pilate. He sticks his neck out and, and he asks for the body and he puts it in the tomb he was carving for himself. Now, on this side of it, we do know what happened next, right? Jesus rose from the grave. On the, the third day came and the women went and discovered an angel sitting on the stone of the tomb that had been rolled away and Jesus' body was gone. And, and as time went on, they realized more and more that this changes everything, that Jesus had not only overcome death itself, but was rebuilding the world around us, that the coming of God's kingdom meant a change in the heart of every person, that the time would come when there was not only a new heavens, but a new earth, and all of it was inaugurated. All of it was begun. The entire ball of wax was set into motion with the empty tomb. But here's the thing we overlook. Without Joseph of Arimathea, there would have been no tomb. 
There would have been no tomb to be empty if it weren't for Joseph of Arimathea. We spend so much time thinking about Christ being risen, and rightly so. But I think we overlook the small miracle of the man who stuck his neck out, who saw that something was going to be needed, and gave of his own wealth so that the practical nuts and bolts of the resurrection could be in place for God to do what God was going to do. Now, I hardly need to bring it home from here, do I? (laughs) It kind of speaks for itself when you hear the story like that. You know, my favorite Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, always said that there was no one else in the entire world that is exactly like you are. That's what he meant when he said that you are special. He meant that there is no one else exactly like you. God made you unique, and God made you for a reason. God needed a pragmatic business person so that the practical side of the resurrection was in place. And Joseph of Arimathea stood up. So I want to ask, what's your role in God's new creation? What is it that God has made special about you and calls on in you in the new creation? Is it something you've discovered already? Is it a gift that you already know and are living out? For some of you it will be. Or do you need to keep your eyes peeled for when God reveals it to you? Or is it both? You know, Joseph of Arimathea probably didn't realize it until much later, but it turns out he was fulfilling a prophecy in ancient scripture. In Isaiah, it says, uh, the prophet Isaiah says that the suffering servant will be buried in the tomb of a rich man. Can you imagine the look on Joseph's face when he read that verse the next time? (laughs) He He must have been dumbfounded. You know what? You also have an important role to play. in in eagerly anticipating God's kingdom. You also have an important role to play, just like Joseph did. In fact, you are part of the promise of resurrection that God is making all things new. So whatever resources God has given you, whatever gift God has given you, put it to use for God's kingdom. And just you wait until you see what God does with it. And wait until you see what God does in you after the fact, too. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for the tomb itself. And we give you thanks for Joseph of Arimathea, who had the eyes to see that you needed it. Lord, as you continue to work in the world around us today, give us eyes to see that whether it be our handyman abilities with a coat hanger whether it be our abilities with a computer, whether it be our gift of encouragement to someone who desperately needs it, whether it be our gift of companionship to someone who is lonely, or yes, even if it is the gift of the pragmatist in us that sees what is needed and gives of ourself to make it happen. May we do it boldly, as boldly as Joseph did. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the risen himself. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, 
visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.